The Yesterday and Today podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun compilation of chronological source materials as they pertain to the Beatles. The show is in no way affiliated with Apple Corps, nor any organization connected to John, Paul, George, or Ringo in any way, though we do consider ourselves premier members of the Bungalow Bill fan club. So kick back, turn off your mind, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yesterday and Today, 1974, Part 1. In this episode, we will cover January 1st through March 30th. It's January 1974. The Beatles' Decade, 1964 to Together and on their own, The Beatles. For ten years on Capitol and Apple Records and Tapes. Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to American Top 40. I'm Casey Kasem, and this is the show that lets you know how your favorite songs are doing every week from coast to coast, according to Billboard Magazine's National Record Survey. You know, if we could run a survey on what questions about recording artists most people would like to have answered, I think number one would probably be, will the Beatles ever get back together again? The latest response we know of to come from an actual Beatle appeared recently in an interview between syndicated music columnist Gene Scalati and John Lennon. John said, and we quote, there's always a chance. There's certainly no rift between us. I talk with George and Ringo frequently. I haven't talked with Paul lately because he's on the road. End of quote. Well, John isn't predicting anything in that statement, but he sure makes it clear that there's no bad feeling standing in the Beatles' way. And while we're waiting to see what happens, we'll keep listening to their individual hits, like this one of John Lennon's at number 25 this week. This is Mind Games.
Written, sung, and produced by John Lennon. At number 25, that was Mind Game. John Lennon, president of Apple Records. On this album, I've been editing as I go along, 16 tracks, you know, because, you know, I'm not, there's very little music that can keep keep you interested or keep me interested. You know, I, I like singles myself, even on an album. I like it to, I, I like commercials. In January, John asks the Queen for a royal pardon in connection with his five-year-old drug conviction so as to be free to travel to and from the U.S. Had John forgotten about returning the MBE? Meanwhile, across the pond in the U.K., Paul McCartney spoke about his biggest goal for the new year in 1974. The first thing is to get another band together. Um, we're just quietly thinking around, you know, of... Um, people that we like in the band and then trying to quietly think if they'd like to be in the band and stuff and uh, then I think we'll get a new uh, new one together kind of Wings Mark II uh, or something like that anyway you know and uh, we'll go out live next year I should think While Paul held auditions for a drummer and a lead guitarist to replace Henry McCulloch and Denny Sywell on January 4th he started to work with his brother Michael for the next four months the McCartneys recorded in Stockport at 10cc Strawberry Studios for what would be a Michael McCartney solo album. The first track they recorded was a song Paul wrote with his wife Linda titled Ten Years After on Strawberry Jam. I still remember this, the first time, you know, I mess up with him, like, you know, and uh, it was in the Oddle Park Ballroom, remember, right? Oh, uh, yeah, and Little, uh, little Park, yeah. Little in Town Hall, like, great. those was the day. There was something, I know, you know, there was something about him, like, you know, yeah. where he used to leap over the microphones and all that. He was a fantastic performer. I don't was, think anybody really realised, The way he you know. put his foot on top of the thing, yeah. you know. But remember Johnny Wins Wins Ramberg, Wins Ramberg. Oh yeah, like, really that's right. Great. No, in the band, oh, in the band, I was. In, I haven't finished. Sure, you go. That's all right. In the band, you know. Yeah, that was yeah. really ace. Really ace, you know. I was. I, well, I loved being abroad, you know. You've uh, been abroad, have you? In Hamburg, is abroad, see. You know, with Tommy, because you know. Uh, in the Reaper band. Yeah, the Reaper band. You know, well, you know, that was the alien hope. You know, with, with a fellow like Tommy, I felt that if we'd have gone anywhere in the world... Anywhere, yeah. Anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world, you know. We'd have gone down great with him, I thought. We'd have gone soft. No, he was. No, he was better than Tony Sheridan. He was better than... No, he was better than Tony Sheridan. That's right. That's what I thought. He was better than Tony Sheridan. Well, do you remember, do you remember, like, what was this, the fellow's name? Tony Sheridan. That's the fellow. I couldn't think of his name. He's better than him, lad. You know, and uh, came back from the hand there, you know, we really laid him in the arse. That was, what was that? Was that when you were 61? Yeah, you used to like laying in the arse, didn't you? Yeah, but, well, yeah, those days, yeah, yeah. that's because you had so much energy, you know what I mean? Those I know, we don't, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I felt that um, we were going to go places. Yeah, you know? I knew you were going to go places. Only come back, only here now. Well, yeah. I sort of say, well, I said, we've got to rehearse, we've got to rehearse. Okay, right. okay. okay. We all know that the Messiah, Messiah will come back one day. Right? We know he left here in 1962 to go to Los Angeles to sort things out for our recording concert. He never turned up. Well, 
you know, he's lost somewhere. I do not believe that he is dead. I, I cannot believe no, no, that. I do not believe that either. This is your only life. What? When he comes back, yeah. Liverpool will rise again like the Phoenix from the ashes. Like that. I don't, I don't know about that. I just, you know, I just think it'll all happen again. Paul contributes two songs and co-wrote a further five with Mike and one with Liverpool poet Roger McGuff. What do we know about you now? What do we know? What do we know about you now? What do we know? What do we really 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 know? Babies cry, we know that we'll get by, but what are we reading now? What do we know about music? What do we know? What do we know about music? What do we know?
supporting Paul, Linda, and Mike on the sessions is lead guitarist Jimmy McCulloch. Jimmy, as you remember, played lead guitar on Linda's sessions last November. Back in Los Angeles, John continued to try and gain possession of the oldie session tapes from Phil Spector, but Spector kept stonewalling Lennon. Frustrated and without any musical project as an outlet, John continued to drink and hang out with some of his studio musician friends. In L.A., it tends to be what clique you hang out in, you know. So obviously when I get down there, I'm in with the, mainly the musicians. You touch the fringes of the movies and the other scenes, you know, they sort of intermingle. But, you know, L.A. is a lot, big rock show down there, you know, and so it's mainly a lot of musicians, you know. From, we're all jamming around in different sessions and it's all that scene. And so on February 12th, and inching for another night out, John found out that Memphis soul singer Ann Peebles, who just scored a big hit with the song titled I Can't Stand the Rain, was going to perform at the Troubadour Club in L.A. Lennon rounded up his friends. Drummer Jim Keltner and his wife Cynthia, guitarist Jesse Ed Davis and his wife Patty, and May Pang, left with John to see Ann Peebles. Since it was fairly early in the evening, they stopped off at Russell's Lost on Larrabee restaurant for drinks. Lennon started to get hammered. Here, Jim Keltner recalls. We were with him then. My wife and I were with him. There was a whole bunch of us. And uh, we went downstairs from the uh, Lost on Larrabee restaurant. And uh, all the guys went into the men's restroom, except John. John was going to be funny. We were all pretty well juiced at that point. And John went in the uh, women's room. And, of course, we all were howling, thinking that was really silly. And uh, he came out with a Kotex stuck on his forehead. And uh, we thought... Uh, Hey, John, you crazy, crazy son of a gun. You're going to take it off any minute. He kept it on mm -hmm. the entire time and went to the Troubadour. We went saw the show. They all proceeded to the Troubadour Club. I can't stand the rain Guess my window Bringing back sweet memories my window 
Throughout the show, John wore the sanitary napkin on his forehead, as Jim Keltner remembered in embarrassment. And he had this Kotex right on his forehead. And I think I tried to get drunker and drunker the night as the night went on so that I didn't have to look at it and, and feel really s silly, stupid or something. I felt kind of silly for him. But people uh, accepted any and everything from John. In those days, they didn't, they didn't care just as long as it was John. There were about 11 people in Lennon's party, according to Rolling Stone magazine, that was published two days after the incident. When it came time to pay the check, Lennon paid, but didn't leave the waitress a tip. When she noticed what he had done, she confronted him, thinking he may have forgotten. He simply looked at her, still wearing the sanitary napkin on his forehead, and said, Do you know who I am? Yes, she said. You're some asshole with a kotex on your head. The story of the sanitary napkin on John's head made musical headlines around the world. On February 15th in the UK, Apple releases a new single from Wings, Jet, backed with Let Me Roll It. I'll tell you why I put Jet out as a single. Because some of the time I do the music, like it and stuff, but find it very difficult to tell which one's the best one. But you're so close to it, you can't necessarily pick it. And what happened was one of the promotion men, a very good promotion man from Capital, uh, called Al Khoury, who was having a very hot period, selling a lot of records and moving, hey, you know, shifting vinyl, rang me up and he said, Paul, you've put the wrong single out. You know, Helen Wheels uh, shouldn't have done it. He said, let me, have, let me have the record, let me handle it, let me tell you how to do it. He said, I can increase your sales by a quarter of a million, guaranteed. I thought, well, that's fight and talk, you know, sounds it's the kind of person I like to hear. I said, but what are you going to do? He said, well, just listen to me. Put Jet out as a single. And that was one of his first sort of moves. I said, oh, yeah, that'd be good. But in the States, the single Helen Wheels was included on the album as well, at the insistence of Capitol Records promotion man Al Corey, who accurately predicted to McCartney that it would boost the album sales. So he, he did the whole thing on Band on the Run, and it was the only album to kind of make number one, come down the charts and sort of go back up, got back up to number one through his efforts, actually.
The next day, on February 16th, the music industry is abuzz when Melody Maker publishes on its front cover page the headline, Beatles Get Together. The report reads, The Beatles are back together again, and the paper went on to say that informed sources in New York suggest that all four of them were preparing a joint statement and that it is to be released in the next few days, and plans are underway for a new Beatles album. Apple does not confirm or deny this story. Meanwhile, McCartney is writing new songs for his next album. He gave me the answer February 18th in America, Apple releases the song Oh My My by Ringo Starr. It's the third single from the Ringo album. I jumped off the table I felt myself 
Back in LA, John and May Pang depart LAX and fly to New York on February 18th to celebrate Yoko's 41st birthday at the Dakota. John wishes to stay, but Yoko insists that he leave, at least for now. On February 20th, John and May depart back to Los Angeles. Once again feeling lonely and rejected, John searched for something to do in order to minimize his depression. With nowhere in particular to go, he takes up residence of his business advisor and attorney, Harold Sider. Lennon had recruited Mr. Sider to find Phil Spector and return the master tapes of his oldie sessions. Meanwhile, Cynthia Lennon has been reading the reports on John's antics in L.A. With Yoko now out of the picture, Cynthia felt that it will now be easier to contact John. So she tries to reach John for the purpose of having him spend time with his son Julian, which he has seemed to have ignored. Her goal was to have John form a bond with his son and really get to know him. John agrees and Cynthia flies to L.A. to bring son Julian to see his dad. I eventually got in touch with John and said, look, it's about time we saw your son. He can see you every day, he can hear you every day, but he can't contact you, he can't, there's no communication. So I brought him here, actually, to Los Angeles. And that was the first time that they got together, since the divorce, really. And from that point, they started building a, a good relationship. You know, father-son, at a distance. It didn't alter Julian's love for his dad. You know, he was a special person. The indefinable special, special person. Just simple as that. Cynthia and Julian arrive in Los Angeles and meet up with John where he was staying.
Julian was excited to spend time with his dad. Here's Julian Lennon. He had some apartment. I can see the apartment. I remember a gateway or an archway into a, an open court area with a fountain. I remember this little room with possibly beanbags. I'm not sure, but pillows all over the place on the floor. A real mess. A dark room. And uh, at that time, we would drive up and down the coast. I don't remember where we went, but uh, he was with May Pang then. I didn't think anything of it. It was just like a continuation of what happened in the past, <laughs> you know. It was nothing new to me, so... Well, he's with someone else this time. I don't mind. Julian remembers the fun with his dad. I remember May was fun. I remember the drummer, um, I think, was from Elephant's Memory. Uh, Jim Keltner? Jim Keltner. I remember being with him and his son at Jim Keltner's house. I don't know doing what, I don't know. Eating popcorn was one of the things his wife, Cynthia, was good at making. <laughs> and they used, there was a little play park down below with trains, which he used to sit on and just go around in circles. I think it could have been like a mini zoo. It's Griffith Park. Yeah. Oh, is that what? Well, there you go. I, I don't know. We visited many people. <laughs> we just sort of wandered in and wandered out. I trailed along. Perhaps in an effort to keep his mind off of his troubled marriage to Patty, George Harrison flies off to India and spends the next several weeks there, visiting with Ravi Shankar. February 23rd, Beatles rumors again take the headlines when Ringo Starr is seen hanging out with Harry Nielsen in Macon, Georgia. It is reported that John, George, and Paul will shortly join Ringo and Harry in the town's Capricorn Studios to record an album. Put on the shade 
could not sleep Worried all day and night About this problem You know he worries so hard He worries so long He worries so much He could not sleep And a man who never sleeps Could never have a dream Don't let this happen to you Turn out the light On March 1st, John requests at the U.S. District Court a temporary restraining order of the Immigration and Naturalization Services appeal ruling on his deportation case. On March 2nd at the 16th Annual Grammy Award Show, the song Live and Let Die by Paul McCartney and Wings wins Best Arrangement Accompanying Vocalist Award. George Martin is the producer. George Harrison, meanwhile, was just getting back from his latest Eastern journey, coming home from India with all kinds of plans. On Monday, March 4th, Apple Corps of London confirm in a brief statement that George Harrison is to tour America later this year. On March 8th, from his MPL offices in London, Paul McCartney gives an interview to ABC TV in America. The interview revolves around Paul's five-year wedding anniversary, current Wings rehearsals at 10cc Strawberry Studios, and, of course, the Beatles. Today, Paul McCartney is rehearsing a new band for a tour of the United States, his first since the last tour of the Beatles. I'm personally interested in getting a nice band together, you know, so as I can kind of play with people, you know, enjoy kind of rocking, you know, just kind of get around, travel and tour a lot, uh, just as a working band. McCartney has asked if the Beatles myth can be created again. We see little bits of each other, but not much, you know. That's the way it's going to stay. I think so, yeah. Right. Well. But we might do bits together, you know, we don't know yet. Every time I say that, there's, there's you know, some paper takes up the headline of Beatles to reform, you know. Right. Well, you know, so I'm a bit cautious about saying anything, but I think, you know, once we get our business problems sorted, to still being sorted, yeah. um, there's other chance we might just feel like getting together and doing something, you know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to say what. Kind of a loose thing, I suppose. I should think so, yeah. I don't think we'll get together as a band again. Yeah. I think, uh, I just don't think it'll work, actually, and it might not be as good. Also on March 8th, in the UK, Apple releases the single Apple of My Eye by Badfinger. The B-side is a song called Blind Owl.
On March 9th, Paul and Linda fly to L.A. to spend the next several weeks holding auditions for a lead guitarist and drummer for Wings. They also work on the production of Paul's brother's upcoming album.
After moving out of his attorney's house, Lennon and his friends, Harry Nielsen, Ringo Starr, and Keith Moon, all share a house on the beach in Santa Monica. All these people living in a house on the beach formerly where Kennedy and Marilyn had been, or something like that, on one of those L.A. houses on the beach. On March 12th, Lennon was told of a show at the Troubadour. It was the return of the Smothers Brothers, Tommy and Dickie Smothers. They decided to all go and see the show. The scene was the Troubadour, a nightclub in Los Angeles. And according to newspaper coverage, John Lennon started a brawling scuffle with the Smothers Brothers as well as a cocktail waitress. Here's Harry Nielsen. Oh, the incident at the Troubadour. Well, that was one of those things. Uh, we were singing, John and I, uh, at this Hollywood night spottery, whatever they call them, nighteries. And, and uh, there were a lot of celebrities in the audience, and we were there to, we were there to see the Smothers Brothers, you know who were, by the way, uh, uh, singing that night for the first time. They had reunited, and they were doing a tune of mine, in fact. So John and I were roommates at the time. I said, come on, let's go and see Tommy, and, you know, and he's a good friend, and, and we'll, uh, Tom, John, and Harry, you know. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So we go down there, and, and I introduced John to these Brandy Alexanders. And on the other hand, he was 21 years old, and uh, I didn't force foul tasting liquids down his throat and make him uh, say anything or do anything. We never did anything other than sing and uh, hit the table, maybe going, making drums out of you know. We were doing uh, uh, I Can't Stand the Rain by Ann Peebles, a great record, you know. And we got the room, so we were waiting for the Smothers to come on. They weren't on yet. So we just had the room bopping, you know, along and singing, a lot of celebrities there and everything. We were having a good time singing along, you know, and, and somebody going, shush, you know, and then the shush became louder and somebody behind us and evidently uh, somebody got worried and... Next thing you know, there were these burly characters uh, <laughs> throwing us in the alley, you know, so that's what happened. John Lennon and uh, Harry Nelson Tommies could tell you more about that. Yeah, those are my buddies. They were just guys out of a job at that point. They didn't have a project. And I did that too when I was younger. I'd go to a, a club and I'd have a few drinks and I'd, since I had pretty good timing, I would uh, start to participate. Uh, <laughs> Harry Nielsen and they were hanging around together and probably drinking some brandy. They were pretty well ripped and... Uh, they came in just was a vicious heckling. It wasn't. He was trying to help, I think, but in their uh, in their state, they weren't very clear, and it kind of ruined it. And they they turned ugly. It, it turned real ugly. And then flowers were sent and everything because they're great talents. Both of them are great talents. And uh, uh, you know, when you don't have a project you're working on, you have this energy and you're running around trying to find it somewhere else. So we never hold any. Uh, recall it was just a very uncomfortable experience at the time. It was it was a bad show to do it because this was our first time back in L.A. after being fired. It was at the Troubadour, and we had like, uh, Newman and Joanne Woodward and a whole lot of the community. The, elite. Yeah, the ACLU-type people, the people were for a lot of good things. It was a very special show. And it, Tommy, to top it off, Tommy was sick at the time. He was throwing up and not feeling good. It was hard as hell to be funny when you don't feel that way. And then to have <laughs> the pressure of the opening show and then the pressure of these guys. It was, it was not a wonderful, it was not a wonderful night. Although it's gone down in history as a, a, yes, a meaningful experience. Oh, I, I'm glad it happened. I'm glad it happened. In fact, this Tommy's second wife has a pair of John Lennon's glasses because mm -hmm. they got knocked off by our fans. Our fans threw them out. Both of them out. <laughs> and I thought that was wonderful. I said, thank you very much. <laughs> My old man's a cotton-picking, finger-licking chicken plucker. What do you think about that? think you better not make a mistake. <laughs> it didn't end with John and Harry being tossed out onto the streets. A woman taking a snapshot of the brawl claimed that John hit her. Brenda Mary Perkins, a 50-year-old self-claimed photographer, claims that Lennon slapped her over the right eye. She filed a citizen's complaint at the Los Angeles Police Department. After a two-week investigation, which yielded no photos nor any eyewitnesses, 
The case was dismissed. It is also right to say, to avoid more publicity, an out-of-court settlement had been reached. I didn't hit her at all, you know. She just wanted some money. I had to pay her off, you know, because I thought it would harm immigration. And she said she was a press photographer, but she had an Instamatic, you know. And I couldn't, you know, she didn't even have any pictures. I was saying, well, if, she, if I hit her, why isn't the pictures of me, you know, like that? And they just sort of said, OK, you better leave, Miss Lennon. They took me out, so I was drunk. I was drunk in Liverpool and smashed phone boxes. Huh? It didn't get in the papers then. But I didn't hit the reporter, but she got $1,000 or some crap, you know, because I had to pay her off, which is what it was. She wasn't a reporter, in fact. This incident turned out to be a wake-up call for Lennon on the life choices he had been making as of late. It's interesting that Tommy Smothers was correct in stating that John and Harry were just getting into trouble because they didn't have a project to keep them busy. That's how I ended up doing Harry. I got, I was just hanging out with, with you know, guys. And all we were doing was getting drunk and, you know, waking up, you know, sick. This is your Uncle Harry Nielsen, and the only guy I know who's crazier than you is me indeed. So that's why I said to Harry, let's forget this. Let's do something. Next thing you know, John turned around and just said, uh, yeah, I'm going to produce Harry Nielsen. And that was that. The Troubadour was one of the great moments of my life. And when they uh, write it in the little silly books of Hollywood that'll finally be written. That'll be one of the little events like Errol Flynn bit Frank Sinatra's mother at the party. I mean, it was a great night, actually. And it's unimportant only to the people that think it's important. I mean, it's, it, it, there were some good moments, you know. And uh, it's just that I... Well, actually, a friend called me yesterday, and he's just split with his woman. And I said, I, although I didn't do it myself, uh, when Yoko and I were apart, she did uh, like a spiritual trip and his girlfriend is doing a spiritual trip and he's liable to hit the bottle like I did, you know? And I said, if you can possibly be strong enough, spiritual trip's better because when we got back together, Yoko's in far better condition than me. You come to the same conclusion. All roads lead to Rome, but it's a hell of a way, you know, crawling around on your hands and knees in the middle of the night, you know? And uh, so that was the advice I gave him, and he called yesterday, and I hope he takes it. He probably won't. He'll probably have to go the hard way, because he's male, you know, and we express ourselves in those ways and violence and all that. And uh, that's how I feel about it. I've been through it. It's unimportant. It's over. You really went through it. I mean, it became almost legendary. The, the past year with the drinking, with the Spectre session, with uh, Harry Nielsen, with... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it just goes on and on forever and ever. Do you look back? I just at wanted to show the boys that if they want to know how to get really down with it, I can get further. You know, I'm an extremist, right? But you bounce. I mean, if they want to play hard knocks, we go right through the wall. You see? Could you recall macho crap? Could you recall like a composite picture of of an evening during that that you could reveal to the people that would give them an idea of what it was like when you were down and out in Hollywood. I wasn't down and out, Elliot. I was down and up. <laughs> Could you... No, I couldn't do that. I mean, look, I mean, we had the same kind of nights in Liverpool before we ever made it. It's just that when you're famous, they put you in the paper when you get... when you tie one on, as you call it. You know, you get in the paper when you're famous, and you're not... if you're just some guy in Idaho goes out with the boys and 
you know, breaks a few telephone booths or something. Nobody writes about it. You either get arrested or you don't. You know, that's... It's, it's exactly the same as anybody else does it. Only we do it with red carpets in front of them. Another thing that ticked Lennon off was the overreaction of the press to just about everything he did, especially when there was a bottle of booze involved. I'm fair game because I'm quotes famous quotes, but anybody else get drunk and thrown out of a club and gets drunk and thrown out of a club and you don't, don't hear anything more about it, you know. I mean, the, it doesn't... I mean, it's irritating, the, the holier-than-thou bit, you know. If I'd been dying in the gutter on heroin, I probably would have got a nice obituary. That's what one of my songs, Everybody Loves You When You're Six Foot in the Ground, you know. But I've always fought against being a martyr. So I got drunk and got rowdy with a friend of mine, and I got thrown out of a club. Whoopee, it happened when I was 16. No doubt it'll happen again sometime or other. The next day in New York on March 13th, Yoko is asked by reporters to comment on Lennon's brawl at the Troubadour in L.A. Yoko sternly replies, no comment. On March 14th, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, sorry. so sorry. Please accept my apology. John and Harry return to the Troubadour Club to personally apologize to the club's manager, Doug Weston. I was too blind to see. To funnel energy into a positive project, on March 24th, John hosts the first planned musical get-togethers. He plans to make it a weekly Sunday reoccurring event. It is open to any musician friends who just want to stop by and have a friendly jam session. It's so wonderful to be Waiting for my green card with me I would never doubt it But I have to shout it I took Keith Moon and Harry and all them and, and I'd lost the John Dean tapes, I'd lost them so that album was quit. I'd promised Harry in a drunken stupor I'd produce him and we rented this house. I thought, get them all in one house and they'll behave themselves. So I get, uh, we got Keith like Moon. No, it, it was the wrong <laughs> thing to do. I had Keith Moon, Harry Nielsen, and uh, Ringo. <laughs> all these people living in a house on the beach, formerly where Kennedy and Marilyn had been, or something like that, on one of those L.A. houses on the beach. And one day I realized, Jesus, I'm the producer. They're going to be asking me where the tapes are. And we'd go in, the bottle would be out, and everybody was just falling on the floor. Well, I'm sorry I offered yeah. you a drink. I think you're weird if you don't even... Yeah, so is your wife. Same to you. You want to get wise now, aren't you? Huh? That's right. Oh, yeah? You want to step outside? Hey, listen to you guys. Hey, hey, hey! Well, fuck off. Listen, watch your language. Your mother. Watch your language. You watch your language, you get out of this place. You must have, aren't you? What are some of Ringo's jokes? Oh, no. You mean Ringo Starr? Hey! You mean Ringo Starr? I forgive you. God bless you. You guys aren't. You guys aren't who I think you are, are you? Are you? Uh, you ever gonna get back together? The jam session seemed to go rather unorganized, leaving everyone drunk and unruly. 
John decided to organize not only the Sunday jam sessions, but take control of the upcoming Nielsen sessions in Burbank. John Lennon recalls. I was in the middle of the Spectre album, which is, some of you will know what it is. I was making Oldies but Goldies album with Spectre, and, and he had a few ac car accidents, and was that was the end of that for a bit. And so I couldn't do it. You know, I was waiting and waiting for months, and I was just sort of hanging around with Harry and Nielsen and people in L.A. and just getting into trouble. And whenever we got into trouble, it was my name in the paper, so I thought, you know, forget this you know every time we go out for the night i end up in the paper <laughs> so you know i said to harry one hangover morning what are we doing man we're wasting our time here we may as well put all this energy into work and i knew he was going to make an album i didn't feel like starting a new one because i had one half finished i said look i'll, pr I'll produce you which means i'll sit in, in the desk behind the desk and make sure they get the drums on you know and things like that and keep them together as they take off Meanwhile, back in England on March 27th, a petition from the Beatles fans containing over 60,000 signatures requesting a pardon for John from his 1968 drug conviction is delivered to Prime Minister James Callaghan at 10 Downing Street in London. On Thursday, March 28th at the Burbank Studios in California, John starts producing the Harry Nielsen album Pussycats for which he writes the track Mucho Mungo and records several demos of the song. Mucho Mungo is a song that John originally wrote for Jesse Ed Davis. I'd asked John to write me a song. It was originally called Mucho Macho, which I guess he wrote for me. The uh, tune Mucho Mungo, what it was finally changed to, he sent to me on a cassette. And along with all my letters, the original cassette was stolen. Uh, on, the on the front of the cassette, he starts off saying, Mucho Jesse. And uh, someone just pointed out to me just uh, recently a bootleg album that has uh, Mucho Mungo on it. Okay. Mucho Jesse.
basic band of musicians include guitarists Jesse Ed Davis and Danny Kutchmar, bassist Klaus Vorman, keyboard players Jane Getz and Ken Asher, horn players Chuck Finley, Bobby Keys, Jim Horn, and Trevor Lawrence, drummers Keith Moon, Ringo Starr, and Jim Keltner, and a bunch of pals dubbing themselves the Masked Albert Kids Chorale. With the band in ready, Lennon suggested to Nielsen to record his song Mucho Mungo. Here the pair work on the song's presentation. Right, I'm going to keep it as pure as I, re- I thought it was. What you mongo, I, because I'm freelance now, yes. I finished it once with Phil. But he pointed out the bits he didn't like, which is exactly the bits Phil wrote, which I didn't like. I'll give you a much of mongo. Yeah? This is a hit record. It is. Thank you. 
Nielsen wanted to use Mucho Mungo into a medley with a traditional tune he liked titled Mount Elga.
During the recording session for Nielsen, Paul and Linda McCartney, who have been in LA looking for a new drummer and guitarist, stopped by the Burbank Studios to watch Nielsen record. After the session, McCartney joins in on a jam with Lennon, Nielsen, and the band on the song Midnight Special. This was the first time in four years that the two have been in a musical environment together. They have both got on so well that Lennon invited McCartney to stop by his Malibu Beach House on Sunday for John's Sunday Jam Session, affectionately called the Jim Keltner Fun Club Hour. on Friday, March 29th, and Saturday, March 30th. Additional recording sessions for Pussycats takes place at the Burbank Studios in California.
Lennon worked hard in producing Nielsen's songs at these recording sessions. Harry had fun working with John, but the fun he had involved a lot of drugs and alcohol. This took a toll on Harry's unique instrument, his voice, as Lennon remembers. He lost his voice, and I don't know whether it was psychological or what, but we, we did one session and then, then that was it. You know, and he was going to doctors and being injected, and he didn't tell me till later that he was bleeding in the throat, or I would have stopped the sessions, you know. I was afraid that if he stopped it, we wouldn't do it again. We wouldn't finish it. So I just said nothing. In fact, I barely spoke. But he had no voice. So what do you do? You know, I'm saying, well, where's all that stuff? You know, and he's going, and some of the writers were, he's imitating me. He wasn't imitating me. He couldn't get, he had no voice, but we were committed. Uh, we, the, the main fun was, we had a lot of fun. There was Keith Moon, Harry, me, Ringo, all living together in the house. And we had some moments, folks. But it got a little near the knuckle. That's when I straightened out in the middle of that album. Mm. And I uh, pulled myself back and finished off the album best I could, you know. But it's just a shame that he, you know, what do you do? I mean, you know, mm. we'd already spent the money. Everybody was booked in. We had tapes and uh, So, me and Harry probably had the best out of it, you know because mm, we had spent a few good nights together. Coming up in a moment, Lennon plays with McCartney. But there was 50 other people playing, too, and they're all just watching me and Paul. You know? I think what we do is jammed. Next on Yesterday and Today. information or to contact the show visit yesterdayandtodaypodcast.wordpress.com or email at yesterdayandtodaypodcast at gmail.com also visit at yesterdaypod on twitter and search yesterday and today podcast on facebook see you next time Paul Kaminsky. I'm James Kaminsky. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. And we bring you the Kaminsky family of podcasts Yesterday and Today and the Third Men podcast. You might know me from one of those dumb voices I do, or my dad (laughs) from his better show than ours. (laughs) Wow. And we're here to tell you about some cool merchandise you can pick up for the shows. As we mentioned in each episode, we do not in any way profit from these shows whatsoever, but to break even on some expenses, we have put up some cool merch that you can pick up to help support the show. Yes, some fun apparel, things you can put on yourself. Are we going to be selling Marks and Spence underwear? (laughs) Don't worry, we will. (laughs) You can head to our social media pages, that's facebook.com slash yesterdayandtodaypodcast or facebook.com slash thirdmen or you could head to society Six dot com slash Kaminsky Family Podcast. That's society, the number six, dot com slash K-A-M-I-N-S-K-I Family Podcasts. Yeah, keep our lights on. I'm in the dark. <laughs> Dad, any words of wisdom? Hello? The lights just went out. <laughs> Guys, we need your help. <laughs> Buy stuff. Perhaps a coffee mug that you can enjoy a beverage out of while listening to our shows. And if you haven't got yours, please send forth in and get a free one. All right. Thank you, Dad. All right, we'll see you on the podcast, folks. Bye. It's audio. You can't see me. Oh, for God's sake.